0: Welcome to Life Turned On, where we share and celebrate the stories of sexual self-discovery in midlife and beyond. Society tells us women's sexuality ends once she reaches a certain age, her body changes, or even when she reaches certain milestones such as motherhood or menopause. They want to turn us off, but we are committed to living life turned on, full of pleasure, deep joy, and an authentic expression of self. Listen in as we share stories of women who are ditching old scripts to pursue their own path to pleasure in their lives and their sexuality. I'm your host, Shauna Stewart, and I want you to get ready for honest conversations, practical advice, and inspiration along the way, because here at Life Turned On, we believe that pleasure is our birthright and the time to claim it is now. Hi friends! Welcome back. As we likely all know, our ideas and feelings about our bodies and topics like sex and health begin at a pretty early age, but parents can find it difficult sometimes to know how or when to talk to kids about these topics, so we often wait until it's too late but today we get to talk to a local health educator about talking to kids about things like sex and pleasure. I also wanna let you know that if you are a local parent in the Olympia area, you might be interested to know that we are hosting a positive sex parenting series in the new year with our guest today. So stay tuned, you'll get to know a little bit more about our guest Desi Sailors. And these workshops are gonna run January to March, so you can stay tuned for more information on those. So our guest is Desi Sailors. She was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest. She moved to the Olympia area in 1995 to attend the Evergreen State College and decided to call Olympia home at that time. Desi is a busy mom of four teens. She's a partner, a professional educator, and an expert dog fetcher. She has worked with teens around Thurston County in various capacities since 1998 and believes that kids are powerful and the key to building strong communities, showing kids that navigating tricky topics with grace models humanity and commitment to connection. Hosting open conversations with teens about human biology, sex, relationships, and all other topics related to health education has taught her so much about culture and relationships. So welcome, Desi. I'm so excited to talk to you today. How's your day going so far? (laughs) It's
1: been great. A day back to school after a long weekend. Um,
0: Always interesting, uh, (laughs) but happy
1: (laughs) happy to have Thanksgiving behind us and the holidays ahead of us.
0: Yeah, it's always trying to remember how to get back into the routine and everything. So, yeah. I get the that. Kids need the reminder and so do we. Yeah. Yeah. So, to kind of start us off, can you just talk a little bit about your personal journey as a health educator and maybe even talk about some of the highlights or challenges you've faced in learning how to have conversations about sex and relationships with your own with children in general because you're teaching a lot of them and maybe even your own children?
1: So my pathway to education was a little curvy. I like to say it was a little bit curvy. I left high school in 1995, pretty unsure. I think my plan at that time was to be a marine biologist. Okay. And um, <laughs> I'm a first generation college student in my family and my family of origin. And so I came to Evergreen with, with pretty little direction. I was raised by my grandparents. And um, my parents were in and out of the picture, but my grandparents were my primary caregivers and, and they were working class folks. My grandfather worked for the railroad. My grandma was a, a homemaker and had no idea how to support a young adult going into college. And they did amazing work with me. No complaints. And it meant a transition from the only home I ever lived in to college, even though it was only two hours away. Um, tricky. And so I, I made it at Evergreen a little while, took a break, worked in retail, went back to college, thought I would do business, took a break. Then after I had my son in um, the early 2000s, decided education was the right move. And by the way, my 12-year-old self knew that was the right move back in like 1987 huh. or 89. She was very clear I was going to be a talk show host or an educator. And... Huh. um I just ignored her, her words of wisdom. So finally, around 2008, I graduated from St. Martin's with my degree in, in education and, and began teaching science. So science was always my preferred content area And as a student and as a teacher. And after a few years um, at the middle level teaching science, I had an opportunity to jump into a health program. And um, fell in love. I just, I fell in love with having real conversations with kids about stuff that we tend to think they just know. And we don't do a lot of explicit education around um, health related topics. I just, I found so much joy in in pausing to, to answer real questions or explain to them how people find their pathways forward uh, and how we ask important questions and, and just kind of unmasking some of the topics that they think are off the table or taboo or scary. So um, that program was handed to me full time in probably, I don't know, 2015. And I decided that was, that was where I was headed for the rest of my career was health education. Hmm. And so I've been teaching that exclusively since 2015.
0: Yeah, what have been some of the big kind of highlights or challenges of teaching that kind of cohort of age groups? And then you've also been bringing up your Mm -hmm. own kids along the ways Mm -hmm. as well. So how has like what you've been doing from a career perspective helped you with your own children? Well, I think every day in the classroom, what's nice is I started
1: health education when my kids were 10 and 5, I think. And so I was working with teens and, and kind of saw the pathway ahead for my own children, right? Okay. And hearing the things that kids were saying or the questions they were asking, the mindsets they were stuck in, um, the curiosities they had gave me some insight on you know where my children's pathway may be. Mm-hmm. Um, also seeking out professional education on some topics related to health education, sex education. Um, being part of some of the transitions in the state around comprehensive sex ed and um, the, the, you know, accessing some of the educational materials too that set us up for the legislation that went into effect this past year helped set me up to, to support healthy development in my kids. So going back to, you know, thinking about the conversations with students, And some of the things that was remind me was part of that question, like some of the things that were challenging,
0: challenges, highlights, and even you said something about like the the mindsets they're coming in with. I'd be curious about what those were. Yeah, it's when you're teaching health education, you get a pretty,
1: you know, like a kind of I feel sometimes like a little bit of a fly on the wall in people's living rooms. And and I don't, and I I do my best to stay as neutral as possible, right? No judgment here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so fascinating to hear kids um, say things that they've learned in their family of origin, uh, or from media, and help them sort through the truth behind some of those assumptions and mindsets and and judgments that they hold, right, that they mm-hmm. bring to the room. One of the big conversations we have Right at the beginning of any sort of health education experience with teens, is that the one, one of the ways that health education is unique as compared to other content areas is that every person in the room has experience related to what we're learning or not, mm-hmm. right? So if we're talking about addiction education, there are many, many people in the room that have a close connection to people that are dealing with addiction. If we're talking about suicide awareness and prevention, there are many people in the room that have a connection to suicide on a personal level um, or at a familial level or through friends. So everyone walks into the spaces with their own personal experience in life that informs what they know about the topics that we're learning about. Whereas if you were to walk into a workshop on, you know, US history or Mm. some sort of, you know, math concept most people that are walking into the room are starting from about the same place
0: right? and
1: health education is really unique in that way.
0: Yeah. It's not, you don't get a blank slate. Everyone's coming in with something. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And so much of it is like learned like in this very invisible or like almost like through osmosis, you know, because like you said, it's not being explicitly taught, but people are picking up on things.
1: Yeah, it is. It is very, Children, and you know this, you're a parent, Mm -hmm.
0: our children absorb
1: all the things Mm -hmm. around them. And they absorb the looks we give one another, the tones of our voices, the media that we're consuming, how often we're consuming media, how often we make eye contact with them, right? They're consuming all of those things in our spaces. And that informs then their understanding of how the world works and how we interact with people and how we speak with one another and and so in our classes or in our spaces, any of these spaces, I've been with teens. Um, my first experience working with teens in this area was through the crisis clinic when I was an AmeriCorps service worker and I was running the teen care line um, at the crisis clinic, and just in any of those spaces it's always so curious and interesting to me to hear how they're making sense of the world and the things that we're talking about in our time together. Hmm. And so, and and there are challenges, like back to your question about challenges, you know, we know there are people in the world that don't share common truths, Hmm. right? With other people in the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there are people in the world that spew pretty hateful, harmful Mindsets, yeah. Um, and kids absorb all those things too. And I, when I hear those things, I try to pause and ask questions to model for them how you handle an interaction with someone that might not align with you. Mm. And you don't even have to say that, right? I don't have to say, "Hey, I don't agree with you." Um. Oh wow! I just heard you say. Can you tell me more about that? Okay. What does that mean to you? And so that, like, teaching people is challenging just in and of itself, uh-huh. right? And helping these kids make sense of some of these tri- tricky topics that we discuss can be a challenge as well because they come to the space with their mind made up.
0: Interesting. Yeah. At such a young age, too.
1: I've done most of this time, you know, teaching with kids from 12 to 15. That's kind of my age group. And, in that course of time, you see a lot of maturity and a lot of things remain constant, right? There are lots of similarities between 12 year olds and 15 year olds and some of those mindsets.
0: Well, and what's so interesting is like those ideas and mindsets are shaped at such a young age and then they just stick with you for so long. And one of the things that has been very common in the conversations on this podcast is all of a sudden, like you get to like, you're carrying those ideas with you for 20 years Or more. And then you get to a point where there's a life change or some kind of moment, typically later in life, and you're like, oh, (laughs) maybe those ideas aren't serving me very well. And then it just is like this, like cascading, it can be this cascading impact of like, okay, what, let's reevaluate all of these ideas and beliefs that have kind of guided me throughout. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and just like on life, it's not like uh, math, <laughs> you know, like no parents are like, yeah. how do we do math <laughs> now? But it's like, how do we do yeah. life now? <laughs> and it really is,
1: it is shocking to me, as a parent, as a person in this community, as an educator, as a friend, as what, as just a human that we just expect Them to figure it out. Mm -hmm. We were expected to figure it out, Mm -hmm. which is why so many of us are here in our 30s, 40s, 50s going, Oh, Mm -hmm. but wait. Yeah. Oh, but wait. It doesn't have to be like that. I don't actually have to think that way. I don't have to treat people like this. I can do this differently. And my goal is that we give them the tools and they are young. They're going to hear the words. Some of it's going to go in and out. Some of it's going to get tucked away in the back of their brain. Mm -hmm. And someday 25, 27, 32, they're going to go, wait a minute. Oh, wait, I remember when, and they're going to have a little foundation to start from. Whereas so many of us were building it from the ground up, Right. right at those ages. Um, And some of them are mature enough that they take it and apply it right away. And some of them, it's going to take some time and that's okay.
0: Yeah.
1: All I can do is hope that, that um, they're able to, to uncover it, which knowing the way a brain works, they will, but yeah, they'll find it. They'll find it.
0: Yeah. Can you talk about some of the significant barriers people face in accessing health education, particularly in the context of sex and relationships and, maybe some of the things that we can do to overcome these challenges?
1: Yeah, thankfully, we live in a state that is very supportive of health education and comprehensive sexual health education. And I say very supportive, coming from the place of like comparatively across the United States, Mm -hmm. Washington is very supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that does not mean our kids get access to health education, K-12, because they do not. Um, And they don't get access to comprehensive sex ed yet. K-12. That is something that the new legislation has asked schools to provide or required schools to provide. And there are certain timeline benchmarks for those, those steps to be in place for different grade levels. And it's, it's going to be a lengthy process. So Washington requires comprehensive sexual health education from K twelve in in different formats. So the elementary ages are really talking about things related to like good touch, bad touch, boundaries, identity, um, that sort of thing, awareness-related uh-huh. topics. And then in the older grades, we're approaching conversations around like puberty, growth and development, STDs, STIs, um, anatomy, and sexual identities. Many states in this country do not have any requirement for comprehensive sex ed nor even allow it to be taught in public school classrooms. Many states in this country and some areas in Washington don't have health education being taught at any grade level exclusively. Their comprehensive sex ed lessons are delivered by a science teacher for two weeks or a PE teacher for two weeks or Um, somebody else that had the lucky fortune of being the one chosen to teach it that year. Yeah. So in Thurston County, we are in a very good place as far as the public schools go. So access to comprehensive sex ed is happening in Olympia School District, North Thurston Public Schools. Access to health education at some grade levels is happening in those districts as well. So, you know, if you live here, your barriers are, it's not happening enough. And who's teaching it?
0: Right? Mm. Is there a
1: dedicated health teacher in the schools, other parts of the country, other parts of the state, you may not have any access to health education at all. So, you know, I I think for a long time, it's just not been seen as one of those core contents. And so it hasn't been offered as widely as it should be in public schools. Now I'm talking a lot about public schools, because they're the schools that are required by law to serve every single child in the country. Yeah. At some public or at some private schools, pardon me, at some private schools, there there are health education programs. Their curricula is not made public, so I, I don't know what's being delivered in those spaces. And you know the benefit that a private school has is that they get to teach to their community values. And so hopefully that that education is alignment with the community that is accessing it. I would assume it is. We have this this idea that health education is not essential education. So that's a primary barrier. And then some of the mindsets culturally that exist in the United States around how we talk about mental health, sex and relationships, bodies, addiction, really make teaching these topics that are so personal for people extra tricky. Uh So a lot of people don't want to do it. Um, They feel like it's too sensitive. It's too dangerous. It's what if I say the wrong thing? And that lack of professional development and confidence in discussing those very personal topics for people too, um, I think is a primary barrier.
0: Interesting. Wow. We often hear that comprehensive sex education is a perfect, protective factor for kids. Mm -hmm. And one of our earlier guests, um, actually, I think one of our very first guests talked about this Mm -hmm. as well. But can you kind of elaborate on about how access to sex education correlates with reduced likelihood of experiencing sexual assault or abuse?
1: For sure. So when we normalize conversations, conversations become normal. Okay. Yeah. And right. Yep. <laughs> I, and it seems like common sense, Yeah. but we really struggle with that around bodies and sex. Yeah. The number of times as I'm teaching seventh grade or ninth grade, um, and we start discussing bodies and anatomy and sex, um, the number of times students say, but wait, if I talked like if my little sister asked uh, what a vagina was, wouldn't that be inappropriate for me to tell her? Oh, yeah. and my response is, do you think your little sister has a vagina? Right. Uh-huh. And she that is part of her most likely part of her personal anatomy.
2: Yeah.
1: And how can something that is part of who we are at creation be inappropriate for us to discuss with one another. So when we normalize conversations, conversations become normal. And something that we know, and this is something that's supported by data from the American Academy of Pediatrics, from the Healthy Youth Survey that's done nationally every other year, and from other research studies, is that when we talk about these things with kids, they are able to communicate them more, uh, communicate about them more effectively on their own when and if they are ever um, victims of sexual assault or sexual abuse. So to normalize labeling anatomy with appropriate terminology to normalize saying, when you touch yourself there, it feels this way. If somebody else touches you there, that wouldn't be okay. How would we say, I don't like to be touched there. And then how would you find supports if someone did touch you there teaches kids that we talk about this Mm -hmm. when we avoid talking about it, because what, like, what's at the root of that for us as adults? avoiding those conversations, it's fear. Shame,
0: fear, yeah.
1: Right? Especially with our kids, really, it's fear. Like we think about, oh my gosh, what if, what if that were to happen? Like, oh, takes my breath away Mm -hmm. to think about if that were to happen to a child that's, to any child, but especially like one of my kids, right? Like Mm -hmm. thinking about what if they were in that situation? So we have that fear response, which creates a block for us which then means we're less likely to have the conversation, which means we're not teaching them how to have the conversation. So when we talk about comprehensive sex ed as a protective factor, we're talking about opening the door to clear communication and normalizing these conversations, teaching kids the language they need to be able to express to us or to their health, their healthcare provider that something has happened to their body that did not feel right to them and showing them that this body belongs to them. They can communicate about the way it feels good or bad or in between, and they can set healthy, respectful boundaries for their own personal safety. Something we know too is in those places where sex ed is not accessible to community members, there are higher rates of sexual assault, sexual abuse, teen pregnancy, STDs, STIs. We just know that making these conversations normal makes them more likely to happen.
0: Excellent, thank you for talking about that. Can you also kind of talk about kind of expanding on that, how cultural shame at, around sex relationships, reproductive health are impacting some of these conversations and what steps can be taken down to break these barriers? Is it just you know talking about it more and more? Are there other things that we can be doing? yeah i think that one feeds into the
1: other right so people that are middle-aged had parents that were raised you know in the 50s and 60s and their parents were raised in the, the early 1900s and we know how cultural shame works right it's carried generation to generation and each generation kind of peels another layer back to like reveal more truth or more comfort or more confidence and so with each generation we we grow and we evolve a little bit right The problem is sometimes deconstructing the foundations that were built by the earlier generations takes a little bit more time. We might be doing the work a little differently, but like actually undoing what was done takes a little bit more work on the back end. So we have these cultural expectations, this idea in, you know, American culture that we don't, we don't talk about sex openly. Um, It's gross. It's dirty. Like you've said, we've, I've heard these things on your podcast over and over again from you, from other women or other guests that like sex is dirty. We don't talk about it. You definitely don't talk about the things that you want to be doing. Yeah. Right. Um, with a partner outside of just like missionary sort of vanilla, right. Sexual contact with one another. Um, it's shunned upon for women to set boundaries, particularly women, right. To set boundaries around sexual touch and pleasure. Um, and so we've got that sort of sturdy, you know, 100 years worth, 100 or more years worth of foundation beneath us um, that then feeds this idea still that we don't talk about these things. And we definitely don't talk to kids about them because something I didn't bring up before in, in some of the barriers is, you know, the mindset of, well, gosh, if we talk to them about it, they're going to go do it.
0: Yes. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Goodness. If I talk to my child about the porn that I think they're watching in the bathroom when they're in there for 30 Mm -hmm. minutes. Well, if they're not watching porn, they sure are now because I'm the one that planted that idea in their head. Or if I talk to them about what's happening when they have their hands down their diaper, even at really small ages. I'm going to put it in their head that what they're doing feels good when clearly they've already figured that out. Right. So how do we, how do we sort of deconstruct and rebuild that foundation? And my, my opinion is we do that by modeling it ourselves, by taking the deep breath and saying, Hey, let's talk about why you're spending 30 minutes in the bathroom every night. What's going on in there? I know you've got your phone with you. I wonder if you're looking at porn and like really digging into those tricky topics, taking a deep breath and modeling that we can have these conversations together. And that's, that's good for you. And it's good for me. And it's good for us. Uh, My perspective is the way that we undo some of those cultural pieces that we were handed. is just by deciding that we're done with that. Yeah. And writing new ones.
0: Yeah. So speaking of the porn thing, can you talk a little bit more expand upon porn and teen or even child use? Like when are p- kids accessing porn? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are they accessing it? How do we talk to them about it? Yeah, all of that. Yeah. It is um, a topic that I wish that I had a little
1: more leeway to discuss with kids. And and hopefully that's something that comes out of this project I'm working on that that we're able to provide some spaces where We can workshop with with kids around sexually explicit media and how it informs their ideas of sexual relationships right now we know that most kids are viewing their first pornographic images by age 10 11 12 and that's happening usually by accident through their devices right it's pretty standard at this point for kids that age to have a handheld electronic device maybe that's not theirs like one hundred percent of the time, but that they have access to, at least for some of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes monitored and often not monitored. And I think we all know that all it takes is misspelling one word in a Google search, yeah, for a sexually explicit image to arrive on someone's screen. Yeah, right. And so we know that these young kids are finding their way to sexually explicit media by accident, usually on a handheld device. Now, some of them may have the courage um, and the foundation to go to their family and say, oh my gosh, look, I don't know what this is. I just came across it. And that's an opportunity then for those adults to say, hey, let's let's talk this through. Many of them go, oh my gosh, because we are biological creatures that are interested in sexual images mm-hmm. from a very young age. It's seen. It creates an interesting physical sensation and it's shut down and nothing is said.
2: Hmm.
1: Now, I don't know what the most recent data is on um, that age group returning, like seeking it out from that point forward. Hmm. Um, that would be an interesting thing for for me to research. Um, but we know that then right around 12, 13, 14 access to it becomes more intentional and is shared among friends, not necessarily with personal images, but sharing videos. Oh my gosh, have you seen this? Or curiosity about different things kids have heard in other media landscapes uh, gets the better of them and they go to Google and seek out more of those images, right? Talking to them about it can be tricky for a lot of the reasons we already spoke about. There's a lot of fear around it, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of shame around it. Mm -hmm. We, as the adults in the room, know what happens next, right? Like a child asks us about sex. Our brain doesn't stop at the question they asked. Our brain goes to all the things,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right? yeah. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, and then this, and then they're going to be curious about this, and then this might happen, and then, and that like movie reel plays in our head that just terrifies us and and shuts us down and we don't know how to respond. Yeah, The same thing happens when it comes to porn. And so the big question is how do we talk to them about it? In my experience, it has been best to just take a breath and ask the question, are you watching porn in the bathroom when you're in there for 30 minutes? Uh-huh. If they say yes, then you've got a doorway to a conversation. And if they say no, you have the same doorway right? The door doesn't just get closed because they said no. If the answer is no, what me? I'm not watching that. The response simply can be, okay, um, well, I know that kids your age do. So I've got a couple things I'd like to share with you about it. And just take that deep breath and lay the groundwork that you want your child to To grow from.
0: Yeah, that's great. I'm really excited about the classes that you're going to be offering at our shop in the new year. Can you kind of like maybe hit some of the bullet points of the topics that you're going to discuss at that time? Because it's really geared towards parents. And also what I'm kind of hearing you say too, is like, it's not only how we're helping our kids or our teens grow through this, it's, ha- it's also going to benefit us so much as well and, like, help us grow through things. Because when we were kids, I mean, I remember maybe kids would see their dad's or their grandpa's Playboy magazine in the bathroom mm-hmm. or something, and that's how they were accessing it now, then. Um, but technology, of course, just changes how we interact with sex Anyway, I actually, as a mm-hmm. side note, I was watching this whole, um, as part of my um, certification program, I was watching a whole program about technology and sex and how, like, even mm-hmm. the light bulb changed. Yeah telephones changed how we can communicate with each other connect with each other the advent of like nightlife and bars where people could go Mm -hmm. out and meet each other it's just wild anyway that's a side note but yeah I mean because like when we were kids it was hard copies of magazines and then we suffered through AOL dial-up so you weren't getting (laughs) quick access to anything (laughs) you know there though I mean I'm sure many of us stumbled upon stuff but but now it's just so different. So it's like us kind of like learning alongside our kids too. Yeah, so. it is. Um, yeah, so I am
1: thrilled to offer this series to support families in in talking about sex and relationships or just really any health related topics with their kids. And like you said, it's, I mean, I'm. I hope to share some tools that are really about the kids. But to be honest, most of those workshops are about us as parents Uh and and caregivers. And yes, this is like for parents. It's also for grandparents, for aunts and uncles, for anybody that is caring for children. I would, I'd love to see join us because my, my goal here is to provide or help us all like through this journey of figuring out how to have these conversations Uh so that we can help kids build these really solid foundations to to go forward into the world. So some things that when I've talked to adults in the past some some things that they've asked for is language around the topic of porn right you mm-hmm. brought up porn um, how do we talk to kids about that And I have taken many walks around my neighborhood with friends that have teenage kids that are like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, We benefit just from having a sounding board, getting ideas from one another, and little tiny pieces that help us build our confidence. So I'm hoping to provide some communication strategies um, to help us have conversations with kids of all ages, not just teens. Some information around consent, affirmative consent, and boundary setting. Some information around specifically talking to kids about pleasurable touch. And how you normalize those conversations and set boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Our homes are not all public spaces for sexual touch. So how do we talk to kids in a way that that helps them figure out where their spaces in their home is appropriate for that and where there are spaces in our homes that are not appropriate for that? Um, and really spending a lot of time with adults and families answering questions that they might have, helping them find solutions that fit their needs, because for some of us, the problems are very, very different, or the challenges, I'll say. I don't like the word problem so much. The challenges are very, very different. And so spending time in those workshop spaces where we're able to ask questions in a safe space, work together to find answers together, and and develop confidence and courage to, to rewrite that foundation, rebuild that foundation.
0: I'm so excited about it. One of the things I love about bringing in experts to our shop is like, I also get an opportunity to learn Right. And my kids yeah. are seven and nine. And so having, yeah access to that information is going to be such a gift i really appreciate you doing that with us i'm wondering yeah. if you can kind of talk i mean we kind of talked about like those macro generational trends what are you seeing now with teens in terms mm. of like sex and relationships what are some of i guess like maybe trends that you're seeing that yeah. may be different <laughs> than what it was like when we were going through that period of life
1: Going back to what you were saying about technology, it has completely changed the rules, like completely upended them. So for you and I or people that are close to us in age, Mm -hmm. we spent a lot of time on the phone, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I had the phone was in the kitchen. And then we had like the big long (laughs) cord. And then I got like a cordless phone.
0: Uh Yeah, it was like freedom.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then if you were able, like if your family was able to provide you your own phone line uh-huh. so that your little crushes could call you and nobody could listen in, like that was huge, right? <laughs> so um introduce the handheld smartphone for all of our teenagers and none of those things are needed anymore. They have private space with their crushes, their friends, their companions at their fingertips twenty four seven. Right. So one would think at least I, I find myself being surprised all the time that, you know, I would think that they are constantly communicating, which they are in a lot of ways, but they're also not in the same way that we did. And so what I have seen, and I will just disclaimer, my experience is not truth all of the time. Uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. Um, there's lots of variation diversity among uh-huh. teenagers today. Generally speaking, the thing I've noticed is that there are fewer um, deep conversations happening. Like, I feel like I was on the phone with my friends and my crushes for hours. Mm-hmm. That isn't so much what's happening now. It's more Snapchat and um, DMs and Instagram, things like that, that are kind of like quick little bites,
0: okay. not super
1: lengthy, long, ongoing conversations. Yeah. And I'm sure for some there are something that we know a piece of data that is always fascinating to me when it comes out and this is collected by the healthy youth survey typically is that the age for first sexual experience is getting older and older and older. Yeah. And so that. have you seen that? Yeah. yeah. And that is something that's puzzling to me and I've um I have a lot of personal theories about it that are not supported by science yet. Um some of them are supported by some some scientific data. Um, But I think our technology has a big piece to do with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about being a, a 17, 18, 19, 20 something year old in the 90s, 2000s, because of dial up, right? Yep. The places <laughs> you were going to get interaction with people that you were sexually attracted to were in real life spaces at yeah. a, you know, at a bar, at a party, at a friend's house, at a social gathering, at an event of some kind. Um, they don't need that for those interactions anymore. So they're not going to those places as frequently as people did in our, hmm. you know, our young adulthood. Access to sexually explicit media, right? Watching porn shorts on Pornhub or other online OnlyFans, other online platforms is not the same as flipping through your dad's Playboy. That you go yeah. out of the bathroom, yeah. right? And so we're just, we're seeing a delay in first sexual experience, which is there's good, there's, there's good things that come out of that too. Their, their brains a little bit more developed. They're able to make better choices and set more clear boundaries. And there are some challenges when you're 21 and haven't had your first kiss. Mm-hmm. Finding your first kiss might be a little bit more tricky.
2: Mm-hmm. right?
1: You're lacking some confidence or where do you even start? Another data point that is widely collected year after year this last few years is that most high school age kids are not sexually active, right? And and the ones that are tend to, at least here on the West Coast where there's access to comprehensive sex ed and health education, the ones that are, are very good at using contraception, contraceptives and um, barrier methods like condoms and dental dams. So kids are the ones that are sexually active are getting smarter and safer at having sex. And the ones that aren't sexually active are waiting a little bit older. Conversations around consent have been very, very normalized. Conversations around menstruation and periods, super like normalized in this younger group. They are so open to, to talking about periods and saying everybody needs to talk about periods. Yes. So there are big shifts happening. And it's a pretty exciting I think it's a pretty exciting time to be part of that um, because there's a lot of momentum. They want the freedom to talk about it. They want the freedom to express themselves, and we just have to give them the space to do it.
0: That's excellent. Thank you for sharing that with me. So, kind of building on that, looking forward another 10 years, what's kind of your vision mm-hmm. for our teen health and sex education in our schools or in our culture and communities?
1: My hope is of course, in my ideal world, there would be health education woven in at every grade level in public schools across the country. And, you know, the thing that I think as educators, we the the kind of trap we get stuck in, is that we see these content areas as these little boxes, right? Mm -hmm. Math is math and English is English and social studies is social studies and health education is all those things. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, and if teachers had Um, teachers in public schools, private schools, community spaces, health educators in public institutions, nonprofit agencies, all the educators out there were provided the tools and confidence they needed to just weave it in to daily life, regardless of what they were teaching.
0: Yeah. Wow. It
1: wouldn't have to be an explicit class. Right. We would just, right. It would be present. Um, And I think we actually are working our way toward that being possible. If our kids are getting better at talking about bodies, hearts, minds, and challenges related to all those things, they're going to bring that confidence to our communities as they age. Uh Uh-huh. And they're going to build the foundation that carries the next several generations forward. My hope would be to see topics related to life woven in, in all the spaces we're working with kids. And for us all collectively to get a little bit more forgiving and confident around conversations specifically related to sex and relationships. Yeah. So we can model that for them. Yeah. You know, I've done a lot of thinking as I, as I'm like aging in my professional life, right? I'm entering the second half of my career and, thinking about why I do this, like, why do I do this? Why do I spend all day surrounded by fifteen year olds? And um I believe that connection and community are the solution to all the problems in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, same. Yep. I really do. I do. Yep. and and I also know that our kids have the ability, To create those sound communities. Yeah. If we show them the way, we show them the value in connection. Yeah.
0: We teach them
1: how to do it. Yeah. We have to teach them how to do it. We have to teach them to stop and say, I'm so glad you said that. Tell me more about you, what you're thinking. Yeah. We have to teach them how to do it. And if we do, they can go out into the world and create connected spaces that make real change. Yeah. Or maintain the bliss they're already following, right? Uh I don't want it to sound like we have to change all the things all the time, but there are some things that need to change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And if they decide that change needs to happen, they have the tools to do it. And if they decide that things are great and they feel joy and compassion and love, they know how to maintain it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I do this. Like, that's why I want to help adults figure out how to say the things that they want to say with their children and learn beside them and grow and, and show kids that we c- we can do this. Mm-hmm. We can talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. We can work our way through it. I was explaining to my 19 and a half year old what I was doing today. He's like, wait, you're going onto a podcast what 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 podcast is this and I'm like well it's not really one you would seek out to listen it's like you know mostly like women sharing their journey to like sexual freedom and and yeah it's just like oh uh uh-huh yeah and I just had this wonderful conversation with him about your podcast and what you do and what I'm doing and it was like totally in air quotes normal yeah he was excited about it he was like good job mom like he was asking questions. He was curious and neither of us felt weird about it. Yeah. Um. And, and that we went through, we went through conversations in his adolescence that he probably was happier mm-hmm. when they were over. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so was I, mm-hmm. but here we've arrived in this space at almost 20 years old where we, we've created those conditions, right? We've laid that foundation. And it was, I was just, I left it and I was like, Oh, That was really sweet. Yeah.
0: Well, and so Desi, you and I have chatted outside of the podcast as well. And one of the things that you said here just kind of built on this idea. But when you talk about parents fear, like having these conversations is that you're reframing and creating a new vision for what health sex like empowerment like all of that can be that like by being empowered by being educated by having access to information facts science all of this then there's more I think like the fear comes from a place of wanting to protect our children Mm -hmm. but it's by like equipping them with all of those things that we can be the best Protectors, but not only just protectors, but like amplifiers of their good in the yeah, world. Yeah. And I just love that you're like painting this picture of like, not that like we have to keep them small and locked up and, mm-hmm. you know, oblivious to everything because they're going to figure it out anyway. But they are like, okay, no, let's equip them, let's educate them, and then let's yeah. trust them to make really good decisions for not only themselves, but our community at large. And <laughs> I just think that's a beautiful vision. Yeah. The, best protection we can offer them is
1: communication skills yeah they are going to have to be independent humans at some point in this world Uh Uh we have got to it is our paramount duty Uh to provide them the tools and skills they need to be that independent successful happy content person walking the face of the earth for as Uh long as they're here Uh and and modeling for them too, that I don't know what, I don't know how I'm having this. Co- I, we, we need to talk about this. Don't know if I'm going to do it right. Uh, let's, let's, let's muddy our way through it together. And we're doing this because we love one another. And my, your safety is my primary concern. Yeah. And I know that in order for you to be happy, healthy, and safe, we've got to be able to sort these things out together.
0: I mean, I, I just, we have, to, we have to,
1: we yeah. have to reframe it.
0: Well, and it's also like, I mean, those communication skills of like being able to muddle through the awkwardness is so beneficial because like, yeah. I mean, sex is awkward.
2: <laughs> you know yes, what I'm mean? like, saying?
0: Yes. It is yes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you have to like be able to get through some of those hard conversations yes. to I love like my yeah. first
1: couple days of of sex ed of the sex ed component in my class, I just love like I love looking at them and being like, guys, this is like part of being human. It's kind of gross and awesome and Mm -hmm. weird Mm -hmm. and like so magical because like we make people Mm -hmm. and like, what? And they just look at me like I must be nuts because I'm so excited for what we're about to embark on together. And I'm saying things to them that no one has ever said to them before. Mm -hmm. Very few Mm -hmm. of them, right? Mm -hmm. Very few of them. And and I'm able to laugh about it and I'm able to say, okay, get your laughing out today because we've got things to do. Yeah. So um, but but we're gonna get through it together and we're gonna get to all the weird questions and I'm gonna answer them the best I can and it's gonna be fine. Yeah. And we're, you know, that's what we're here for. So um you we've gotta we we just we have to. We have to find our way to confidence in making sure they have everything they need. Another parent educator in, in the Olympia area um, that I spent a lot of time with when my kids were were young used to say we want to think about who we want them to be at twenty five. Yeah. And that is when I look at these these kids in my spaces and all the spaces I've worked with teens over the years. I'm like, well, you know, where where do I hope they are at 25? Uh-huh. What do I want them to be able to do? I want them to be able to say, yes, I like that. No, I don't.
0: Uh
1: I want them to be able to say, now I need help. I want them to be able to speak to their strengths and their wisdom. And I can't just like throw that at them. I have to do that with them. I have to model it for them and have to like learn beside them.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, And so that they can take that forward into their young adulthood. Mm -hmm. um and i hope they do
0: Mm -hmm. i hope they do Mm -hmm. yeah i'm so grateful that we have you in our community what an amazing resource for the students and for our community at large and i will include a link in the show notes to learn more information about your upcoming workshops um, but really looking forward to those. I'm excited to hear yeah. more from you and to learn together as a community. I think it'll be really meaningful. How can listeners find you in the meantime? So I um have an instant Instagram account, Growing
1: Conversations, and you can email me at Desi at growing dash conversations.com. Uh, you can also find me on the, the web at growing conversationscom dot com and um I'm out and about in the Olympia area all the time. Looking forward to meeting people and supporting all of our journeys on this topic.
0: Well, awesome. Thanks so much, Desi. I really appreciate your time and I'll look forward to seeing you soon. Yay, thank you, Shauna. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this story, I hope you'll subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Please share it with a friend to keep the conversation going and leave a review. That would be super helpful. We invite you to follow us on Instagram at Life Turned On Podcast. And if you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at stories at lifeturnedonpodcast.com. And the next time you're looking for lingerie or sexual wellness products, I hope you'll consider shopping at lingerboutique.com so we can continue to normalize rest and pleasure together.